Well, good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today uh, on this spring forward weekend, right? Spring forward. And, uh, and again, I, I know that people are going to be a little bit more like, whoa, man, I need like an extra hour of sleep. If that can help you, I probably need an extra hour of sleep. So I may talk really slow today, just kind of chilled out. And you may go, what's wrong with Pastor Aaron? Is he on something? No. Is he depressed? No. He just needs more sleep. Amen. And I'm going to get a double shot espresso after this service, too, so it's going to help me a little bit. But it is great to see you. My wife said last night when I did the Saturday night service and greeted everybody, I said, great, five times. So I said it once. Great, 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 great. I said it six now, so it's great to see you. That's seven. All right. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Daniel chapter 3, the book of Daniel chapter 3. I'm going to also give you a verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, but I'm really going to be walking through this historical narrative of Daniel chapter 3. We're in the series on the Daniel dilemma. We're going to wrap it up next week, and I hope you'll be back as we do that. And then we go right into, uh, well, it's just a, it's a Palm Sunday, and then it's Easter. And so, uh, again, uh, Daniel chapter 3 today. This series is all about how do we live out our faith in a world that sometimes is hostile to, to our faith? How do, we, how do we live for God in an ungodly world? How, how do we take a stand for what we believe in without trying to be mean or offensive? How do we raise our kids? Uh, not just raise them, but how do we raise them to honor God and love God and to keep his word in a society that really doesn't embrace what the Bible talks about? And that's been the whole kind of premise of the series. Week one, we talked about that culture will try to change your identity. That there is a cultural issue every time, historically, this isn't like a, this is something that happened in the 21st century, but we go all the way back to Daniel chapter 1, that culture tries to change the name. It tries to change the identity. It tries to change who you are. And, and there's a constant, constant issue there. Last weekend, Greg Washington did a great job talking about the world in which we live in, this Babylonian world, and how culture will try to change your standards. It will try to change, really, who you are. Not just your identity, but really who you are and, and what you find to be acceptable and what's unacceptable and, and all of those things. And today I want to talk about when culture creates a confrontation, how do you respond? Because I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how passive you are, how introverted you are, how non-confrontational you are. If you're going to follow Jesus... There's going to be confrontational moments that are going to come up. There are going to be these, these cultural clashes, these, these, these issues that come up where you're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to follow what I believe Scripture says or am I going to do what the world says? Am I going to bend to the business world or am I going to stay in, in what I know what God's called me to do? Uh, raising kids as they ask you questions because kids, man, they just kind of cut right to the heart of it. And uh, am I going to really teach them and train them that even sometimes when it's uncomfortable that they're still called to live this life out? And how do they do that? And how, how do you walk that out? And so... Excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul addresses this to the church in Corinth, and he gives this statement that's going to kind of be a, a basis as we go into Daniel 3 today. He says, be on your guard, stand firm in faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. Be on your guard, beware, have your antennas up. I mean, be head on a swivel, man. Be on your guard, stand firm in faith. 
Be courageous, be strong, everything in love. Paul's advice is when the culture creates a confrontation, to stand firm. You don't have to be aggressively advancing, but don't digress. Just stand your ground. You don't have to be on the offense, but don't be on the defense. Just stand your ground. Stand firm. Stand confidently. Stand knowing that you're on the right side of the truth. Stand even when the winds and the waves blow against you. Stand even when society doesn't embrace it. Stand even when other people who you thought were God-honoring people walk away from the truth. You stand firm. So what does it mean? How how does this operate? So Daniel chapter 3 gives us a historical narrative that we know actually took place. Uh, and this would have been consistent with the Babylonians. But we see this story, we see this narrative, we see this historical account of these three young men. They would have been upper teens at this point in time uh, that are Hebrew. They're, they're Jews, and they've been brought under the captivity of the Babylonian Empire. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonians, says, hey, we're going to, we're, we're, we're going to create this cultural uh, uh, cr- crisis for these, not intending necessarily, but that's exactly what happened for these young Hebrew men, and they're going to have to make a choice. Remember, Babylonians were a multi-theistic society. They believed that many roads lead to God, that all roads lead to God. Not completely unlike the world in which we live in today. The world that we live in today, yeah, our currency may say in God we trust, but how do you define God? It may embrace that, you know, we're still a God-fearing nation and a, and a church-going nation. And, and I know in the Midwest, I mean, we're still very conservative with our values. And, and, uh, but, but the reality is, is that there is a, a very much a mainstream ideology, theology, that just says, hey, it's okay that you worship this God, but I'm going to worship that God. And, that, and we should all just, we should just peacefully coexist. And I do think we should, we should operate in peace. I don't think there's any need for any type of, of hostility or a type of um, uh, hate. Uh, you know, that's, that's not, the, that's when you go, well, well but we've got to stand up for something. Well, you've got to go back to what's the nature and the essence of who God is. According to 1 John, the nature and the essence of who God is, that God is love. And so, therefore, there's not this ideology of hate that we should be embracing. We should never be prejudicial towards people, even if they don't hold our values or our our views, even on who God is. We should never be people that are finding ourselves in a place of bullying someone or pushing someone. We should not be aggressively trying to violently take people down. At the same time, we shouldn't be just a doormat that walks out. We shouldn't be people that just go, well, do what you want to do. No, no, no. It, it, it's an active tense. We need to stand firm. That's what we believe. I'm not saying that you can't believe what you want to believe, but don't ask me to prescribe that that's truth because I don't believe that that's truth. Do I think you still have a right to be here? Yes. Do I think you should still be, still be uh, uh, having the same air that I'm breathing? Absolutely. Do, you, do I think that you should be, your rights should be protected? Absolutely. But at the same time, not at the expense of mine or anyone else's. See, and so the world in which we live in we're creating this, this, this crisis is here, this confrontation is here, and that's what these guys are experiencing, which I think is so right where we live. So let's just read this, Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon, and he summoned the, these were all governmental high-level officials, the satraps, the 
the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. And so the satraps, the prefects, the, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled on for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before it. And, they herald, and the herald loudly proclaimed that the nations and the peoples of every language, because Babylon had taken over multiple cultures, they were the number one leading power in the world at that time. This is what you're commanded, not optional, you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of, the gold, of, the, of gold that the king Nebuchadnezzar set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn and the flute and the zither and the lyre and the harps of all kinds of music, all the nations and the peoples of every language fell down and they worshiped the image of the gold that king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Except for... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who stood firm against the decree of King Nebuchadnezzar. They refused to bow to this idol that was 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And they find themselves front and center before the king. And as we watch how they respond, it's really a great, great, great playbook. A page out of the playbook and how we should act how we should treat, teach others to act and raise our children to act and respond. When the culture in which we live in asks of us to do something that is diametrically opposed to what we believe and what God's word says. How we should not be aggressive, but we shouldn't be passive. How we should not try to bully our way through and make everybody believe what we believe, but at the same time that we stand on our faith. That's important. Because you can't make people believe what they don't want to believe. We have a saying in the South, a person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. You cannot force your opinion on someone else. The Bible says unless they're drawn, unless we, all of us, are drawn by the Holy Spirit, none of us comes to repentance. And Paul tells the church in Rome, it's not the judgment of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So that heated debate is never going to lead anybody to Jesus. That yelling at someone, is, that hostility is never going to bring anybody to Jesus. And, and, and the reality is, is that we are to walk. And Paul says, as much as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. As much as you can claim that, that territory, be at peace with all men. There are some people you can't be peaceful with. Amen? You know what I'm talking about? No? You don't have those people. Invite me into your world, would you? <laughs> Invite me to your space. No, no, it's just true. There are just some people, right? There are just some, I mean, and, and I think sometimes we think, well, that's just me. They're, they're doing something to me. No, no, no. That person's a jerk to everybody. Do you understand that? It's not just you. You don't have a sign like, hate me. I, I want you to be a jerk to me today, right? You ever felt like that? Like you look around and go, is it, am I wearing a sign that just says yell at me today? Be rude to me today? I don't feel valued of myself, so just treat me like trash today. No, 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 no. The reality is, is that's them. And so there are some people, but even in that moment, you can power up or power down. You can be at peace. Quite frankly, the only people we should really be confrontational with our brothers and sisters in Christ that know better. Those who are mature, not who think they're mature. That's different. 
Right? There's some people walking around think they're God's gift to the church. Amen? Do you know what kind of degree I have? Do you know where I'm from? Do you know what my name is? They, they just think they're all that. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, y'all shaking your head. Don't point. It's not nice. We're in church. I know Life Church is a great church. We got people like that too. Amen? The, the reality is there's some people, I'm, but people that are truly mature in their faith, you walk to them and go, hey, bro, we don't act like that. Hey, sister, we don't act like that. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Do not disrespect the name in which we bear. And so we are to conduct ourselves. But at the same time, we're not to just go, well, do what you want to do. We're not going to say anything. We're not going to do anything. Yeah, if there's some law or some whatever that we disagree with, we're, we're just going to just be passive. You know, as I'm reading this and I'm thinking about this, I think of the owners of Hobby Lobby and uh, the Green family. And, and I, I, I know them personally, and, and you know, and, and I, it's not like we hang out, you know, and, and I'm at their home in Oklahoma City. But, but I, I've known of them and know them and have eaten with them and, and, and sit on some committees and some boards with, with various members of their family. And, and, uh, and, and I, at the time when they basically, as a company, so they're about a $4.9 billion company, just a little bit of money, they are basically saying to the federal government, hey, what you're wanting us to provide in terms of some medical rights as a privately held company for, for employees, we don't embrace. And you're wanting us to pay for some, some medical treatments that we think life begins at conception, not at birth. Therefore, you're asking us to violate basic principles that we feel like violate God's word. And we're not trying to push our opinion on anybody else. And it's not that someone can't work in our company or work for a company that may believe differently. But for us to have to pay for those medical services, we just, we just kind of go, no. If another company wants to do it, that's fine. But we're not going to do this. And, and, and David Green in his book talks about this, of, of the dilemma that he finds himself in. This company that they've built that really is not for their own personal gain. If you look at it and, and, uh, and how they've structured it, uh, if you want to work as a family member in the company, you can do so. But no one in the, camp, in, the, in the family benefits from it. And quite frankly, if it were to ever be dissolved as a corporation, the money is not given to the family. It's actually given to missions and ministry. It's all set up and structured that way. He's been very public about this. And during this time this is going on, I'm sitting on a board with Barbara Green, and we're in, in the Northeast, and, and, and she's there, and, and this is all happening. And we prayed for Barbara and, and just prayed for the family because they're going before the Supreme Court. Again, this would be, an, this would be a, I'm just not going to bow to this. And we just feel like this is a right that's being violated that's asking us to violate what we believe. And, and it doesn't matter where you fall on the opinion of what you think about them. The reality is, is that they felt like that violated Scripture and violated a biblical standard. And so they weren't mean. They weren't trying to throw hate. They weren't trying to dissolve it for everybody else. They were just like, hey, I'm not going to do this. Knowing that there was a $5 billion company at stake. Knowing this could be the end of everything. Knowing this is what would happen. What, what do you do in those moments? See, because sometimes we can hear these stories. We go, that's great for church on Sunday school. No, 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 no. This is a billionaire 
who has a, a multiple billion dollar corporation in America that's dealing with real government restrictions that's now infringing upon what he believes is his biblical rights as, a, as not only an American citizen and a business owner, but also as a follower of Jesus Christ, which he holds higher than the other. And he puts $5 billion on the line. I don't know how much more real you want to get. I don't have $5 million, much less $5 billion. Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe that's just chump change in your world. But where I'm from, that's what we would call high cotton. And so the reality is he goes there. Why? For the exact same reasons. Be on guard. Stand firm. Be courageous. Be strong. But in everything you do, do it in love. Why? Because people are watching. That's exactly what happens with these three Hebrew young men who refused to bow down because it violated commandment number one. I'm the Lord your God, uppercase G. I will have no other gods, lowercase g, plural, before me. I'm number one or nothing at all. This violates their own personal belief. And in moments like that, you can kind of go, well, you know, man, maybe. You know, I'm going to stand for God in my heart. Really? Like, you know, I, I'll bow down outside, but on, in my heart I'm standing up. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, you know, or like, you know, man, I just, I, I, I'm not trying to be political. No, you, you're not. But at the same time, there is a culture that is drawing a line, and you've got to decide where you're going to stand. So what we see with these young men is that they show us what it means to stand firm. Standing firm takes courage. It takes courage to stand firm. If you're going to stand firm in your faith, it's going to take courage. If you're going to teach your kids to stand firm in their faith, it's going to take courage. Daniel 3.16, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not worried, I love that phrase, about what will happen to us. We are not worried what will happen to us. Can you say that? I am not worried about my business. I am not worried about my livelihood. I'm not worried about my net worth. I'm not worried about my reputation. I'm not worried about what other people think. I'm going to only serve my life for the audience of one. I'm going to live for the audience of one. You like me, you don't like me. It doesn't matter to me. I'm living life for the audience of one because I know there's going to come a day where the only opinion that's going to matter is his. It's not what the stock exchange says. It's not what my shareholders think. It's not what people in the community think. It's not what you think or the church thinks or the denomination thinks. It only matters what he thinks. You want to live for God. You want to be a Daniel in a Babylonian world. You're going to have to resolve the fact. You're going to have to come to the end of yourself and understand the courage that it's going to take where you go, I'm not worried about me. I don't have to survive. I know this is much easier preached than lived. A few years ago, I was in a missions meeting, and, and I began to hear of a pastor in the Middle East, an Assemblies of God minister, who uh, uh, married and had daughters. And so it kind of resonated with me, and, and, my, and I, Tammy and I have two daughters. And, and uh, they came in, and, and he's building this Christian church in a very, a very Muslim, uh, Islamic state. And I'm not trying to throw Muslims or Islam under the, the bus, but I mean, but the reality is, is that you know, it's just everybody else is an infidel. I mean, that's, that's it. You're, that's, and, and that's what the Koran teaches. And, and, and these guys were extremists. And they were coming in. And they were basically going to, they had began to persecute. And they began to push. And, and we don't deal with much persecution here. We deal with more prosecution. But we don't deal with persecution. But there are people in our world. 
every 24 hours that are dying for their faith in Jesus Christ somewhere in the world. I mean, literally, within a 12 to 15 hour plane ride from O'Hare, you can be at places all over the world where Christians have died in the last 24 hours just because they were followers of Jesus Christ. They came in and they said, look, we're going to, uh, we're going to ask you one more time, are you going to renounce your faith in Christ? And he said, I, I, I can't. And they said, okay, we're going to begin with your youngest daughter, and we're going to rape her in front of you, and then we're going to kill her. Then we're going to go to your other daughter, and we're going to do the same. And then we're going to go to your wife, and we're going to do it, and you're going to be the last one. And I'm sitting in this meeting, and we get the report that they all died. And I just go, wow, I don't know. I don't ever want to be in that position. But what kind of courage does it take? And then I also think for myself, when I stand before God, and I'm in that line, this is just the way my brain thinks, and I just, I'm waiting for my time for him to, him to I'm, I'm in heaven, and I'm, I'm in heaven, and I made it, because I don't make it on my own merit. I make it on my, by grace I've been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. So I'm in heaven. And I'm standing behind that man who not only gave his life, but he gave his family. And I go, oh, I can't, you know, God, I, I didn't stand up for you in that business dealing because I, I stood up in my heart. I, I didn't do that because I knew it was what your word says. I knew it violated your word, but yet I just kind of. And I was called to ministry, but where you wanted me to go was cold. Wasn't real comfortable. Didn't know anybody there. Sometimes I talk to people that are going to work on staff at Life Church, or we're interviewing people. Easy for every position we hire, there's probably 60 to 80 conversations that we have with 60 to 80 different people before we get to the right one. It's, staffing is a tough deal. And it throws me into orbit when someone goes, you know, I'm going to be so far away from my family, I may not see them at Christmas. Yep, join the club. You know, it's, it's Sundays and it's weekends. Yeah, I hate if you're an NFL player, wouldn't that be horrible? See, you'll do that for a million dollars, for $5 million or $16 million a season. Oh, yeah, that'd be no problem. What, what are you saying? Which is cold in Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of the idea. It's cold. It's colder in Siberia, but it's cold in Wisconsin. I, I get it. I get it. I get it. There's a lot of snow. I get it. Yeah, but I just don't do well with snow. So you're going to stand in line, and the guy in front of you has been martyred for his faith. Every single disciple died for their faith. Jesus died for our faith. Not for his. He already had it. He was it. And I'm going to say, I won't do this. I won't go there. I won't. If you're going to live for Jesus Christ, it's going to take courage to stand firm. Courage. We need to teach our children courage. There are times when doing the right thing stinks. There are times when doing the right things cost you friendships. There's times when doing the right thing costs you popularity. There's times when doing the right thing costs you a job or a promotion. It costs you money. But what are you bowing down to? Money, popularity, fame? Or are you thinking of Jesus Christ? Are you thinking that one day I'm going to stand before God, and he's going to call me my name, and he's going to say, Aaron, what did you do with the talents that I gave you? Did you bury them? Did you use them? Did you leverage them? 
Aaron, I called you to go to. Why didn't you go? Why didn't you give? I sent that missionary. I sent that person, and they talked, and I sent the Holy Spirit to tell you you're to write a check for X, Y, Z. You're to go on that mission trip. You're to to do this. You're to do that. Why did you not? Courage. Courage. I know, I know, I know. I love really good, positive messages. I'll try to be as funny as I can. But I have to be honest with you. If you're going to serve Jesus Christ in the 21st century and beyond, it's going to take courage and more courage and more courage. There are things that we deal with today as clergy that I would have never thought 30 years ago we would deal with. There are conversations and, and, and dilemmas and, and ethical uh, quandaries that we find ourselves in to going, man, how do you deal with this and how do you ratchet this up? How how do you confront this? How do you talk about this in love but also keeping the truth and and this truth and grace balanced? How do you, yeah, takes courage. We also see that standing firm takes faith. Standing firm takes faith. Faith. What do you mean, Aaron? I'm so glad you asked that question. Daniel chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, the Living Bible says, this is their response. If we are thrown into the flaming furnace, our God is able, we'll come back to that phrase, to deliver us. For he will deliver us out of your hand, your majesty. And if he doesn't, please understand, sir, that even then we will never under any circumstance serve your gods, lowercase g, or worship the gold statue you have erected. You have to get to the place, if you're going to handle the crisis that happens with confrontation in the culture, you got to get to the place where God is your God. It's your faith. It's not the faith of your grandmother. It's not the faith of your father. It's not the faith of the church. It's not the faith of the pastor. It's not the faith of your children. It's your faith. We did baby dedications yesterday, and there were, there were a half dozen or so families here on the platform dedicating these beautiful children to the Lord, and awesome, and it's great. And these mom and dads, they have faith in Jesus Christ. That's where they're on the platform dedicating their children unto the Lord, as the Bible kind of leads us to and, and instructs us to do. But the reality is every one of those kids are going to have to come to a moment what I would call the crisis of their own faith, where Jesus becomes personal to them. Where their relationship with Christ becomes personal to them. He's not just someone they read in the book. He's not just someone that they hear at vacation Bible school. Not just someone that they hear taught about at Life Kids. Not just someone they hear their parents talk about. Not just some do's and don'ts or some cosmic killjoy in the heavenlies. However they frame and view God. They're going to have to come to a place in their life where they stop and they go, This is my God. And my God is able to. And until you get to the place where you go, my God is able to, until you can use that personal pronoun of my, my God is able to deliver me, you're not there. It can't be my God, talking about me as a pastor. It can't be the church's God. It can't be the youth pastor's God or your wife's God or your husband's God or your kid's God or your grandparents' God. It's got to be your God. How, How do you get to that place? Well, you get to that place through this faith journey where you, first of all, accept Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Secondly, you begin to walk this thing out. And through the valleys and the mountaintops of life, God begins to prove himself out. That it's not just something that's on a page. It's something that you see. 
Like we talk about divine healing. We know that Isaiah 53, 5 says that by Jesus' stripes that he bore on the cross, we're healed. So when Jesus goes to the cross of Calvary, he doesn't just give us redemption for the sweet by and by, but he gives us healing for our physical bodies here and now. The book of James says, if there's any sick among you, call the elders of the church together, anoint that person with oil, pray the prayer of faith, and they'll be made whole. Well, it's one thing to hear a Bible story about it. Jesus healing blind Bartimaeus or whatever you may May, may, may read to your kids. It's one thing to talk about it. It's one thing to preach about it. But it's another thing to see it. And I'll never forget being a young man in church and raised in church. And there was an elderly lady. She had to be in her 80s. And she came down with a walker. And, I mean, she's having to get this walker down. She's got a full kind of air cast that was like those Velcro, you know, deals. All from basically from right below her hip all the way down to her ankle. And she's going down. And she sat on the altar. And, and people began to come around. And they prayed for her. And you could just sense the moving of the Holy Spirit. And there was a whole church service that was going on. This was the end. The pastor preached. And this was the altar time. And, and, and all of a sudden, that lady took that cast off in her 80s. And she literally danced, I'm not joking, from one side to the other. There was no show. There was no cameras. God had miraculously healed her. Guess what? Show and tell time. I, I'm sold because I know the Bible says it, but I just saw it happen. And Grandma, 85, coming down in her walker, is dancing all over like a junior high dance night at the local junior high. Like she's just all over just, what? Because she's healed. She, God did something miraculous in her life, and all of a sudden, it goes, it goes for me. That becomes part of my faith journey. It becomes a part of what I believe. And, and so then I go, hey, is my God able to heal? Yes, because I've seen him heal there and other times. I could take all day and tell you these. I've seen God do his work, and, but it's because I've, I've seen it. I've trusted. I've been in those situations. I, I, I've been a part of that where, where, where God begins to move and God begins to work. And the only way to do that is develop that faith journey by going on that faith journey. And that's what these young men were. Our God's able. And I love the phrase, even if he does not, we're still not going to bow down. Because there's sometimes God reacts and responds in ways in which we think he should do different. God's not some like cosmic Santa Claus. Do you understand that? He, he, he's not up in the heavenlies like, like an ATM machine. You can just kind of put your card in and your code in and you get what you want. You know, I need healing for this today. I need you to do this today. I need this to happen today. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? The problem is, is that we're not God. And the things we would ask for, sometimes it's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Not facing, not, not, not experiencing death, but walking through that valley that increases our faith. And God knows that, so he allows us to go through those things. God's never a bridge over troubled water. That's great music, but it's horrible theology. The Bible says, he, when you walk through the tempest of the water, I will be with you. When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will be with you. When you ascend to the mountaintop, I'll be with you. I love what David says in the book of Psalms. If I ascend to the heavens, God, you are there. And if I make my bed in the very pit of hell, you are there. I cannot escape you. Faith. Our God is able. We know as you read the rest of the story, they're thrown into the furnace. The furnace is so hot that it actually consumes the, those that are, throwing, that, are, that are making the furnace that are choking and stoking the fire, that they're, they're, actually, they're actually consumed. And they began to look in the furnace, and they see that not only are the three men, they asked for a report, but there are four men in the fire, which, I mean, I, I just think it's Jesus. Because God never leaves you nor forsakes you. And when they pull them out of the fire, because they were never concerned, the Bible says that their clothes were not singed, 
Their hairs were not singed, and they did not even smell of smoke. It's like a mic drop moment, you know what I'm saying? Where's the MC Hammer? Can't touch this. And here's what happens when you stand firm. It inspires other people. It doesn't just affect you, it affects others. Verse 28 of chapter 3, Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, said, Praise be to the God, uppercase G, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel, talking about the fourth man of the fire, and rescued his servants. For they trusted in him, and they defiled the king's command. That was Nebuchadnezzar's commands. This is him speaking. And they were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any other god, lowercase g, except their own god, uppercase g. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god, uppercase g, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces. Sounds like some mob movie, doesn't it? Cut into pieces, and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other lowercase g god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. When you stand firm, be of good courage, be strong, do everything you're doing in love, as Paul says, just as these young men did. Not only does it inspire other people, not only does God take care of it for you, but there are people far away from God that are watching, that are looking, that are just curious. Are you really going to walk out? Are you really going to live out what you say you're going to live out? Sometimes God allows us in those situations just not to test us, but for the benefit of other people. And so the king, the most powerful person on the planet at that time, the king of Babylon, says, praise be to the God, to Jehovah God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is not a God follower. This is a guy who has so many idols and so many lowercase gods and, and, and is so enamored with himself and narcissistic type ideology that he stops and says, praise be to God, the God of the Bible, the God of the Jews. So much so, let no one ever even speak ill of this God lest they and their family and everyone connected to them be destroyed. And then, what the enemy tries to use to destroy them, God turns around and uses for their good. And he promotes these three young men. These are not 30-year-old, 40-year-old, 50, 60-year-old men of wisdom. These are guys that are young adults. They're in their upper teens. They're not seasoned, as we would say. They just knew what they believed. And if you're a young adult, it doesn't matter. You can change your world. You can inspire other people. You can create change. If that change that you are doing is based upon something that's bigger than yourself, bigger than your social media platform, bigger than what you think. Just by standing firm. It will change the world in which you live in. And I just want to remind us today, I don't know what dilemma you're facing. I don't know what cultural crisis or what confrontation. Maybe there's nothing, but there will be something. And it typically won't just be one thing. It'll be multiple things. As we see in the life of Daniel, every time there was a, the Babylonians, and then it was the Medes, and then it was the Persians, and, 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 and every time there was a different confrontation. 
because society just doesn't rest and culture just doesn't rest and it continues to progress forward and it's in those moments that you have to make a decision. Am I just going to stand firm? Am I going to teach my kids to stand firm? Am I going to be of good courage? Am I going to strengthen myself in my faith? Am I going to be strong? Am I going to do everything I do in love? But if I'm just going to stand firm and not fold like a cheap suit. That's my prayer for us, for you, for me, that we stand firm. It's not about being perfect. It's not about trying to change everybody else. It's about doing what I know is right according to God's word. As for me and my house, as Joshua would say, we will serve the Lord. We will do what's right. And I won't bow down to the almighty dollar. And I won't bow down to a business deal. And I won't bow down to some government reform that I don't don't think is correct. I'm not going to be relegated to someplace else. I'm just going to stand firm. Stand firm. And the best time to make a decision to stand firm is when you're not in conflict. Prepare for war in time of peace. Make decisions that have no emotional charge when there's no other situation around. So that you know that in those moments you don't react, but rather you act. And that you have predetermined in your heart, I hope I never face this, but if I do, here's what I'm going to do.